0: Welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance. Watch the first few episodes and discuss what we thought of it. This week, Biso Rankin. This episode contains a brief discussion of Nobuhiro Watsuki and his fine for possession of child pornography.
1: Busa Rankin ran from October 5th, 2006 until March 29th, 2007 for a total of 26 episodes. It was made by Zbeck. um we've already talked about them, as they're the studio behind Stelvia and other shows such as d angel To Love Rue and Keijo. It is based on a 10-volume manga series by Nobuhiro Watsuki, the author who's most famous for Rurouni Kenshin, which ran from 2003 until 2005 before eventually being cancelled. However, unlike other cancelled mangas, it actually managed to reach a true ending rather than leaving it on a massive cliffhanger because he had to rush everything into the final few chapters. Uh, Watsuki talked about how he wanted this to be his last shonen manga, which is why he essentially put every single thing he wanted to try with the genre into this manga, and it's sometimes considered a shonen parody, though not a very good one. Watsuki is a very problematic author, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but the Bruce ranking property specifically also has two drama CDs, two light novels, two DS video games, and one PS2 game. The anime was directed by Takao Kato, and on that note fair...
2: Yeah, so uh, Takao Kato, I won't have too much to say about him. It's yeah another case of uh, there's very little material on his work, so I'll just uh, list what he has worked on, or some of the more interesting things. So do either of you remember what Rockman.exe is?
1: Yes, that's Mega Man. Uh, is specifically, it? Uh, Rockman.exe is specifically a Mega Man spin-off. Uh, it's, it's the Battle Network franchise with the protagonist wow. Lan and Mega Man. It has six games that kind of follow the Pokemon style, where you always get like Pegasus or Dragon, Protoman or Commander, I forget what his name is. I really played a lot of, especially Battle Network 5. I never managed to beat it because I always use the dark chips, which corrupt you and cause you to lose HP every time you use a non dark chip. It's a big franchise.
0: Yeah, for someone who doesn't care about the Mega Man franchise, i.e. me, I seem to run into Rockman.exe quite a lot. (laughs) Well, now I feel like a dumbass, because I didn't know that. Yeah, he directed a lot of
2: adaptations of Rockman.exe, I guess, Mm. uh, from 2003 to 2006, and also... Now I know this is on a similar note, he directed both Mega Man, NT Warrior, and Mega Man Star Force, 2002 and then 2006-7.
1: Mega Man, NT Warrior is just Mega Man, uh, exe again, and Star Force is essentially its sequel series that follows a similar right. combat style, but this was, this was uh, now on the... No, this was still on the DS, but... This was a different setting with a similar character, and this time it was aliens, radio wave aliens. They were all quite fun.
2: Well, I don't know if the anime are any good. No um, idea. <laughs> so, in terms of other more famous names, yeah, he directed a um, adaptation of part of Major, the famous baseball manga, Pandora Hearts in two thousand and nine, uh, Zoids in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand and one, and then two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> So he came back for that. Good for him. Then we get on to the uh, trio of shit, which is Tilovru, <laughs> and then Upote, and then <laughs> Triage X.
1: Ah, uh, Triage fucking X. It, it, it's come up a lot on this podcast. Like, a lot of people have worked on Triage X. Unfortunately.
0: Yes. Have either of you seen Tilovru? Because I haven't. Honestly, everything I know about t- Tilovru, I know from Mosmosis. Yeah,
1: I I have read the manga, but it's... I mean, Vito is probably the blandest harem protagonist I've ever seen. That's saying something. He has literally no personality between getting into perverted accidents and being a nice guy. And I think we've all seen
2: more Upate than we would have liked to.
1: I have seen all of
2: Upate. Yes, like I said. I don't know what to say about his directing style, because... It wasn't very evident from Rankin, which is okay. We'll talk about it later, but Rankin was kind of not the best visually. Alright. The series composition we have Akatsuki Yamatoya, who has worked on some things with better reputations. He was series composer for the adaptation of Gintama and then Gintama Apostrophe. And I know people love that show if they All the people who see it, anyway. He also wrote the adaptation for Hero Man. Which we will watch at some point on this podcast. uh, Zatch Bell, and uh, probably most famous uh, Soul Eater in 2008.
1: That's fairly beloved, I think. Well, the manga is. Is the show? I think people really like the the show, even though it's an anime original, uh,
2: ending-wise. But yet another episode in a row. The composer is the most famous person. This is Kohei Tanaka, and the reason I say he's famous is because he wrote written the music for literally all of One Piece. That's, that's pretty famous. Yes. Mm-hmm. In terms of other popular things, uh, he wrote the music for a lot of Sakura Wars, which is somehow a franchise that still exists. PS4 game came out this month, uh, last month. Yep. And uh, Rosario to Vampire.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and Hayate the Combat Butler. Assassination Classroom, there's a lot of Shonen in here. In terms of stuff that's more to my, our tastes, I think, uh, he wrote the music for Hyoka, which I have to admit I don't remember. Gunbuster, which I think we're going to watch at some point. And he wrote an insert song for Pokemon 2000. Also wrote some music for some video games, uh, Resonance of Fate, and uh, more notably to me, Gravity Rush 1 and 2, which uh, those had had, uh, nice music.
1: Resonance of Faith is one of those games that I always want to go back to and try again, because it's such an interesting world visually, and kind of the way it's designed. But the gameplay is just not that fun.
0: So episode one uh, is called A New Life, and we get a 16-year-old boy called Kazuki Muto. It's not immediately obvious, but he's in a nightmare uh, where a monster is... Trying to kill him, uh, while he's trying to save a girl. Well, he wakes up and he realizes it's a dream. And then all of his stupid friends come in and they go to school. So at the school, there's a teacher called Mita who punishes him for not having proper school equipment and makes him stay back after school to deal with this issue. And this is when they up the Tsukemi vibes uh, a lot. Like this is, I'm thinking of the bad end where you get murdered in the school by Michael Roa Valdamjong. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> because uh, the teacher reveals himself to be the monster from the dream. We get a flashback where a girl uses a device called a kakugane to restore his life. Incidentally, she looks like Shiel Senpai from Sekai. I like the monster because he's got a face for a tongue. It's a really nice design. Uh, the girl who is saving him, who we will learn, is called Tokiko Tsumura. She uses her power. Uh, this is what these, the eponymous Buso Renkin are, where she has... Freya described it we are watching it as General Grievous Scalpel Blades, which are, I guess, telekinetically controlled. She uses it to destroy Mita in summary fashion. Uh, we're talking takusatsu shows after you just get your weapon and you just immediately kill the boss levels of speed killing. And she's going to give us an exposition dump about these monsters. These are called homunculi. They have to be homunculi because the theme is alchemy. And they can only be destroyed by weapons like these Buzo Rankins. Mm-hmm. And Togigo tells him to get the fuck home, and she's going to go to a warehouse to kill some homunculi. But Kazuki ignores her, he goes to the warehouse himself, and he'll activate his own Buso Rankin, which he is now able to do because of the Kakugani replacing it. His-
1: to be fair, he does actually run all the way home and then comes back to the warehouse.
0: And he gets to defeat the homunculus leader. She's like, okay kid, you can be my disciple. <laughs> <laughs> And that was what happened. (laughs) So, yeah,
2: you can tell from Ian's description that this episode is structured and paced kind of weird. And not in a good way. Would it not have been better to spread out the, like, snake villain over the whole episode? Instead of have that, like, get solved pretty much halfway through, and then go on to have to fight some other guy...
1: You know what, Freya? It's almost like that's how it is in the manga, where the snake villain is chapter one, and the whole warehouse thing is chapter two.
2: <laughs> yeah, so probably should have just uh, done it all in cha- uh, chapter one.
1: What I think is the much weirder change uh, is that in the anime, it's Tokiko that comes in and finishes off the snake boss to save uh, Kazuki's sister, whereas in the manga, this is where he awakens his... um. His Kakogane and kills the snake himself, thus saving his sister. And hmm. what we talked about is during the thing, and you said it might be to show off her abilities a lot more. But if we then go to a scene where she cuts dozens of them apart on her own, I'm not really sure that was a necessary change.
2: It sounds like in the manga that it's then like he's still coming to quote unquote save her, right, in chapter two.
1: Uh, it's it's less that it's that, and it's more that it's he feels he feels like he should do something if he can because she's going on her own and he can help. So he, it's less that oh I have to go save her, and it's more I have to go help. With the it still has the imp- implication of the oh she has such small shoulders. I forgot about that. Oh she's got such small shoulders. I must go and
2: help help her because that means she's weak. Yeah. Like this uh. this is
0: like oh, this has opened up a whole new dimension of sexism to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny that the author intended her as a feminist character. But uh-huh. I mean for the most part she kind of is. The the thing I want to know about the manga Denny is uh-huh. Like, is this dream sequence where he's killed by the monster and turned into like an alchemical weapon himself, like in the manga? Because
1: it's not a dream. It, it, it was never a dream. It was just this is what happened, and he just thought it was
0: a dream. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like he's real.
1: In in the manga, what happens is the first color page is just we see this we see him saying it's a dream, it's gotta be a dream. We see him in the warehouse, he gets stabbed, then he wakes up in his bed. This is all just implying that he thought it was a dream, but it actually happened, and then he gets the heart implanted by Tokiko, and he gets brought back home. But it, it most definitely happened. It's just fucking weird.
2: <laughs> it's a decent it's a decent start, though, for a story to just, like start off with that.
1: What's your big problem with it? You, you keep saying it's weird, but what specifically about it is it that,
0: that you find so odd? It's just that I, the way that the fight scene is happens, it doesn't feel like the kind of scene that he would be able to easily wipe off as a dream because I mean, does, I mean, if he, if he woke up at the school, then sure oh, I fell asleep while I was doing my, uh, my, my chores after class.
1: But he wakes up in his bed. Wouldn't that be even easier?
0: No, because
1: <sighs> like he got stabbed in his school uniform, then he wakes up in different clothes with no stab wound in his chest.
0: I mean that's that okay that, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, argument for it being a dream. I guess this is this this is it's a problem I have with uh, a lot of of uh, people oh was that a dream thing. It's like well, <clears throat> I struggle to imagine how people couldn't possibly remember this. And I guess it's because I it's, it's the same thing when people are oh I got so wasted I can't remember anything. It's like I've been drunk before. I've never been so drunk that I can't remember what happened. I guess I guess it's just an experience that I find very hard to uh, empathize with. Some people are just like that, where they have like memory loss problems, just not even
1: from getting drunk, just from anything. So the only other change of any real importance in the first episode is that when Kazuki and his sister are coming to school, um, they run across the gate, and his sister stumbles, and the, the school teacher is about to fully for full force slam the iron gate closed with his sister's head caught in
0: between. Yeah, the teacher came off very pathetic in that scene where he's just like, well, just see me after class.
1: Yeah, he's much more aggressive and mean-spirited than trying to kill people in the manga.
0: Like any good educator. yeah,
1: yeah. It's about as shounen as you can be.
2: Yeah, but it's so much stuff crammed in as well. It just keeps going. <laughs> it,
0: never, it never slows down. We're gonna notice this over the three episodes, that so they cram in a fair amount of exposition, <laughs>
1: and yet it doesn't feel like anything happened.
0: Yes, well, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I'm not too, I'm not too much of a problem with the fact that they like start in media res. That's that's just expected. Like he wakes up, quote unquote, immediately. But it, like, I, I'm I'm always a fan of the like when they try when they try to kill the main character really early, <laughs> <laughs> just just to, just to see what the fuck they think they're doing. <laughs> I've seen worse first episodes, but... Certainly, certainly. I've I've, I've I've seen a thousand better first episodes. I've seen
2: better Shonen first episodes, and that's as someone who's not really a fan of uh, fighting Shonen in general, but that's okay.
0: Okay, so episode two is called The True Form Homunculus. The initial like start of the episode is just some stupid school hijinks, uh, and at some point we cut to the outside and we see... Uh, Kazuki has clearly buried some of the skeletons that were that were in the uh, warehouse after after they killed the homunculus creatures.
1: A good old mass grave in the mountains.
0: No one's going to notice uh, a, uh, some freshly dug earth in the middle of a... <laughs> so Tokiko is going to give him the explanation about, well, my investigation of the warehouse leads me to believe that they're Someone is creating uh, these homunculus matters. There's some some weird choices with the uh, the brain with the overlaid videos. Oh yeah, where it looks like a uh, like a sort of documentary you would have watched in
2: school, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like Absolutely. The, the square of uh, a different scene, like floating over and becoming bigger over the top of the brain and then disappearing off the other corner of the screen and then another one
0: happening and yeah it looks pretty tacky it was it was very out of left field too uh but this is the this is the exposition dump for this episode where she talks about how the homunculus matters are parasitic embryos that turn their host into homunculi the matters are like little pieces of the homunculus that are I think, I mean, I already call them embryos, but they'll they'll stick to people, and then it'll turn them into. So while while they're doing this search, and we're learning all this, there's a mysterious man on a bird homunculus who antagonizes them a little bit. He tries to send a homunculus matter to attach to Tokiko, but it gets deflected. We uh, get a, like a pretty fun double team scene where Kazuki throws up his lance and like and. Tokiko is holding on to it, and then she uses this to get the height where she can use her her own Busa Riken to take out the bird.
1: Well, it's never really addressed in the manga or anime, he also just seems to have gained super strength as a de facto thing. Otherwise, there's no explanation for as to how he's able to throw it that high or or any of the other things he does.
0: Yeah, I think it just comes with the Kakugane. So they finish the bird off, Kazuki nearly gets murdered by his lance as it falls on the way back down, and then we go back down, uh, just outside where he was dead, burying the bodies earlier. And they get accosted by some of their friends. like, And then they're like, oh my god, you have a girlfriend. And he's like, uh, no, she's not my girlfriend. We're siblings. <laughs> this would be much less confusing, was he not saying this to his younger sister, but she buys it because she's that kind of character.
1: Oh, this is so confusing. Oh, well. Hey, I,
2: I, yeah, I have an older sister now, yay. Yeah. This whole comedy routine with his other friend despairing about how he has a girlfriend goes on for about a
1: minute. and uh, kind of reminded me of Grand Blue in that way.
0: I, f- I forget where exactly they're going, but they're, go- they're going for a walk. And then another homunculus matter uh, seems to have been attached to uh, his sister Mahiro. They try and destroy it. Uh, but it to- ends up attaching itself to Tokiko instead. And then later when they're hanging out in the woods, she tells Kazuki that she's going to turn into a homunculus within the week and that they need to find this mysterious man before the weekend. Then Ninja Frogs attack. <laughs> they they fight them off. Uh, he's apparently also learned to silently activate his Busa Renkin. Which
1: Tokiko specifically states is not a thing they can do earlier in the same episode.
0: So I guess this is just more piling on the stupid uh, protagonist powers that he has. But that's basically all that happened in that. I I guess we could talk about Buso ranking corner. (laughs) 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 Which is a stupid post segment where we get to learn all about Kazuki's power, including its name, which he spent a lot of time worrying about earlier in the episode. Days did it better.
1: The weird thing is that it actually reveals the name of the weapon in the corner even though that's not going to be a thing for like another 5 or 6 episodes i don't care we're going to get more mileage out of Aya Hirando, i guess so
2: let's have this segment
0: i think it was just a case cuz they don't have it in the third episode to the same extent despite the fact that they filled it they they threw in a lot of exposition in that episode they still somehow didn't have enough time to fill and we're just like all right well let's let's pad it with some post cred stuff well, yeah, but then the, the next episode is two minutes shorter. Uh, yeah yeah, I, I guess that's right. Overall, pretty meh second episode.
2: It progressed the arc, I guess, or introduced the arc.
0: It just
1: feels like so little happened in the episode. Like They were at the building, exposition, friends come, they yeah. go, get attacked, and then he does one thing to kill the enemies, which are tiny frog creatures, a tiny frog robot homunculi, and then we end the episode. There isn't even any character or relationship progression.
2: To be fair, it's episode two, so there shouldn't be that much, but whatever.
0: I think that they're trying to like get into a particular rhythm. I don't know if this happens in the manga, where they're like, a little bit of real life. A little bit of Busa Rankin bullshit, a little yeah. bit of real life, a little bit of Busa Rankin bullshit. Because that's definitely how this episode goes. It doesn't work at all, mostly because yes. the slice of life stuff doesn't work at all. <laughs> yes, in any of these mm. three episodes. But neither neither does the and stuff either. <laughs> but we get a ticking clock that I guess we need because we do. We needed that in episode two, didn't we? <laughs> I don't know like it's
1: cuz she only has a week left to live with the homunculus in it before it turns her into a monster.
2: Yeah, so we established that our female character is competent so we've got to nerf her immediately.
0: <laughs> the thing is, right, this is def- this is the sort of thing you put in the first episode of a lot of shows yeah. where it's just like, where it's just like, well, I'm wanting to become the greatest biathlete in the world but I'm going to die in nine months because of a pact with <laughs> the devil. Man, I would watch that show. Um,
1: <laughs> it sounds more interesting than this. Another problem with the whole shonen aspect is that when you think about it, every single fight is resolved in a single attack or combination attack. The fights don't last.
2: Ian said during the, uh, while we are watching it, that he thought it would make a better tokusatsu show. And I think I agree.
0: Yeah, this is a very tokusatsu thing to do, which is like every time you get a new, power. It's enough to one shot the enemy. So, you get a new power-up for every enemy? Well, no, but like the fights become more complicated a little later in the series, but if you like look to like the first episode of the Power Rangers, for instance, they don't like introduce the sword the Zord separately. Like, I think you just get all the, the Megazord as one thing immediately and they just take mm. out the giant Goldar.
2: I mean, the villains even do the like, okay, I'm going to turn into a bigger, more monstrous
0: version of myself to fight you. It's an introduction to a power. It's not really a fight scene. A lot of shows do this by, oh, we can't use any of our previous moves. That's why we introduced this new DSX machina that we've never <laughs> had before. see Kuroko Noque for as many examples of this.
1: You mentioned magical girl transformation, but if these are if we equate them to that, these are the worst I've ever seen because he just puts his heart on his uh, his hand on his chest, shouts Spisa Rankin, and then he has his weapon.
0: Yeah, I meant that in like a sarcastic way when we saw the first uh, introduction of Tokiko's Busa Rankin because she had the like little metal things come down from like her skirt and like where the arms grew out of. And I was like, this is usually where like the camera would spin around her and then like she would pose and then her clothes, her huge clothes would appear. It was just, it was not a good.
1: I think it's simply we don't have the budget for this.
0: We did not have the the animators for this. Yeah, speaking of not having the budget, let's move on to episode three. <laughs> <laughs> or the slideshow. Yeah, episode three, you've become a little stronger, which may be the weakest shounen fighting title I've ever heard. It was like a poster child for we need our budget later on in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Kazuki and Tokiko... They know that they've learned that this the homunculus crater is a student at Kazuki's school through this frog interaction. And they are going to try and find them on the school grounds, but they're not going to succeed. What we're going to do is we're going to, get a, we're going to get the sort of two things ongoing at the same time. They're searching them, and we get to see a little bit about what the villains are doing. Which is lying at home in bed. <laughs> well, creepy tongue villain guy is just being shady under a lamplight, like being ominous. Or just hanging out in the river. Yeah, I, I appreciated the the under the lamplight scene. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the guy who was the leader is just in his bed talking to his minions about how they don't actually need to do anything <laughs> because Pokekoa <laughs> is going to die in a week and uh, Kasaki is clearly not like in control of his powers and shit yet.
1: I mean, that's such a classical villain thing to do where if you just sit back and wait, you win, but no, you decide to go and engage go ahead and engage the protagonist and cause your own loss. I mean, at least they call out the guy who does it uh, this
2: time, yeah. but then the first who calls him out also does it.
0: Yeah, at the end of the ridiculous montage is where we get the showdown with the frog homunculus guy against Kazuki. Tokiko is not around at this point. Actually, I don't even remember why they split up. I guess it was just while they were moving around. It's to uh, cover more ground yeah exactly classic but yeah because he's because while he's like starting the showdown uh she just sort of breaks into his room one thing you'll notice her do a lot is she's always like standing in high places or in in this case she seems to have just scaled two floors to get into his into his room through the window uh for a per comic interaction with one of his friends about the porn magazine that he has acquired. I don't think the fight actually happens until after the episode break, but he has a fight with Frog Homunculus Dude, who by this point has transformed into a, into a giant frog and has enabled his face. What is the frog type again? Uh, one of his powers
2: is based on the Suriname Toad, uh, which is a, I think, pretty much entirely aquatic toad that, in order to protect its children, has... A pouch on its back and a bunch of holes in its skin so the tadpoles like uh live in there until they turn into frogs and then they all pop out and it's it's kind of weird but it's cool
0: yeah so post transformation like his opening gambit is to like pop off the frogs behind kazuki and they like they tongue him in the back of his I mean, I say tongue. That makes it sound very gentle. They like stab him in the back, uh, and oh no, he's dead. Ah, uh, no, it's okay. My heart is missing anyway because it was replaced by a kakugane. As if that's an explanation. <laughs> uh, I don't need this blood to circulate throughout me. I'm fine. Uh,
1: is is he is is Kazuki actually just a zombie
0: reanimated by the by the kakugane there? The thing is, he's kind of like a reanimated human himself, like part homunculus. But yeah, like but when he gets back up and makes short work of uh, frog homunculus, dude, apparently the little frogs do nothing else afterwards, <laughs> I guess. Like, they, they did their job. And then as he defeats uh, evil frog dude, like we learn the the reason his voice is so high, his voice is ridiculously high, is because he's actually like a tiny frog person inside the bigger frog person body. And he's like, ah, don't kill me, don't kill me. Really, you should just squash him at that point.
1: But of course he doesn't. The villain designs
2: in this show very much remind me of a uh, devil man or berserk, where you have the, like, animal body, but with a human head just poking out of somewhere
0: weird. Like, you know in Spirited Away, when No Face just becomes a giant blob and has the little face uh, it. Yeah, it looks a little bit like that, but it's not as cool. Yeah, yeah, that sort of idea. Well, so Kazuki faints, and little frog dude uh sort of humiliates the the fainted kazuki by like just like stepping going like he's, tea, he's essentially
1: teabagging bagging him
0: he has a jojo villain moment where he does a weird thing with his tongue and then then he gets killed from off screen by another homunculus <laughs> this time a plant woman it's actually kind of cool uh she's basically like being consumed by the plant that she is and then she gets killed immediately Yeah, she prepares to finish off Kazuki, but this is when Tokiko has managed to make up and intercept the attack and kill the the flower woman. The last thing that happens in the episode is Kazuki regains consciousness and he promises to Tokiko that he will work harder. And by this point, I guess we should say that we're also like four days into the the plot timer that is Tokiko's impending homunculization. That was an episode. Once again,
2: it was bad. I guess we're furthering Kazuki's character a little bit, in that he's trying to get stronger. Wow, what a
1: what an original version of it. Or a shonen protagonist of all things. Who has ever heard of a shonen protagonist who wants to get stronger? They removed the only funny joke of that entire bit, which is Kazuki drawing a picture of the guy they're looking for, the main villain, Papillon. We don't actually really see him uh, besides bits in episode 2. He's, he's a lot of fun. It's a real shame we didn't get to him, but he is just a guy who a high school student wearing a, a a butterfly mask at this point. But when they go around looking for him, Kazuki, with his all, with all of his artistic talent, essentially draws him as a Jojo character. <laughs> Face-wise, he's just this really buff, muscular guy with a butterfly mask. And they go around to school showing it to people. That was removed entirely here to just have boring montage stuff where we say we just show the same clock three times to indicate the day's passing. Or we show Kazuki stabbing his spear in the middle of the night. It was a bad montage, and it removed the only good thing from that bit.
2: You know, when Majora's Mask did the, like, ding dung dawn of the um, uh, fifth day or whatever, it's really dramatic and cool, because it's, like, slow and comes after a long segment of gameplay, whereas this is just like, okay, we have a montage of them looking around the school while we have the, like, shitty, we didn't have enough time on this uh, anime thing where the characters just sort of blur across the screen a little bit. Does that have an actual term?
0: I don't know if it has an actual term, but this timer thing I think would work really well in a visual novel. Because you there would be a certain amount of, well, we need to go and learn these things anyway. And it's like, it, but in the anime where we're just going to get an expo dump, it's just like, just cut us forward three days. It, I mean, you're basically doing that anyway. There must have been a better way to do this montage. And then the fight mostly amounts to,
2: oh, I'm going to talk at you for a bit and then hit you with my attack, which like knocks you out immediately. And then I'm going to do the same thing back to you, which like can be good,
0: but uh, it wasn't. Nope. Yeah, I feel like the only thing I'm enjoying in these fights is the villain designs yeah. because they're all really stupid. Like bas- uh, basing the frog
2: guy on the uh, toad is actually it was so kind of interesting, and then they
1: didn't do that much with it. None of this is also helped by the characters, who are just not very interesting at all. Like I've already said, Kazuki's generic, but he's just so generic. You could do that kind of character well,
2: but. Yeah, Kazuki, his like enthusiasm doesn't come across quite right, especially because of the random bits where I I know he's a teenager, but the random bits where he's like getting fostered because a woman because Tokiko is too close to him
1: or whatever, it's like you didn't need to do put that in there. It's also not helped by some of the line reads he does; they, they just sound very off and not very engaged at times. And...
2: Yeah, it's weird because it's Fukuyama June, right? Yeah, this is Jun Fukuyama.
0: Who, famous as Lelouch. Um, Yuta in Chunebio, Persona 5's Joker, etc. Korra Sensei. Haven't we already talked about him on this podcast? We talked about him when we did Ghost Hound. That was it, yeah. He was much better as that go- asshole.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. We've got a 16-year-old boy killed by a homunculus while trying to save this girl. His heart is replaced with uh, like this kakagani thing that revives him. And he decides to help fight against the homunculus. And later on, he'll be like an alchemist warrior and shit. Like we've we've talked about this. His motivation is non-existent.
1: Crashwork. I mean, it. Mm. It's she has small soldiers. I need to help her. Sm- sorry, <laughs> sorry, small soldiers. <laughs> she has small shoulders. I need to help. Her.
0: I think, it's an, I think it's supposed to be like the a, a sort of chivalrous. I'm fighting to save my sister and my friend. But it's like, why do you need to save them anyway? You've basically been introduced... I mean, you, he's been introduced into this world completely by accident, and now you need to save them? Like, this fight is going, going, on, going on without you. It, it's fine.
1: But I can't just stand aside and do nothing
0: if I have the power to help.
1: That's essentially it. I think it might have been okay if he had just shown up and, like, If this had been
2: like she took him on as an apprentice after the first snake guy and he like helped her a little bit with that and then she like showed off, he and then he
0: just watched her fighting the uh, the the ape guy. Yeah, think about how much better this would be if he was just the annoying side character instead of the annoying (laughs) protagonist. She takes him
1: on as his apprentice, as her apprentice. He doesn't choose to do this, he only chooses to do this once she's weakened. So he he needs to help her. It it
2: just kind of undermines her character a little bit, which is a shame because she is the... I mean, there's not really that much to her, but she is the best character in the show.
1: Out of all three real characters we've
2: had so far.
0: So yeah, I think in his defense, his weakness uh, in terms of motivation is also because the threat isn't very apparent. True. Yeah. So far, Monster of the Week, but like they've came out of nowhere. This is like Ria Repulsa's dumpster has been discovered. <laughs> You're right. Looking
1: at the mangaka's own notes on the character, like he says directly, I tried to create a maturing, likable, humorous main character, but I always failed. So that's why I thought, why not create a character similar to a character that I enjoyed drawing from one of my previous works? A pure and simple character seems to have become the customary personality in male manga characters lately. So... That's what he did, pure and simple. With nothing there, it's about as bland and proje- projectionable as you can get. But he's not even a—he's not even a good boy.
2: He's—he's <laughs> he's just get... kind of boring.
0: Yeah, I guess we should be grateful um, that Nobuhiro Watsuki is like at least honest about how transparently lazy he has been with his character creation.
1: <laughs> He, he literally just took another character from Rurouni uh, Kenshin and slightly redesigned them. He even tells us which character, Miyas, Misao uh, Makimachi, and then just changed her a little to make her seem more like a modern-day high school student. That was it. He's clearly put a lot more effort into Tokiko as a person.
0: Yeah, so Tokiko, voiced by Ryoka Yuzuki, since I'm going to give Code Geass references for everyone, she's Akito in Akito the Exiled. Possibly more famous as Ino Yamanaka in Naruto, or Kiryuin in Kill la Kill. Oh, that's good. She was really good as uh, Sasuke. Then. So, so she has her. So she's the serious, competent character. She's got a like distinctive scar, which she is explicitly decides to keep, and a really stupid Busa Rankin. <laughs> I hate that term, uh, called Valkyrie Skirt, which yes. is a, quote, execution scythe attached to her thighs and controlled synaptically. We like her because she is competent. And Although, well, like I say, we wouldn't know this through these three episodes, it's clear that she has a better reason for fighting. There's still not that much to her, uh, which no. is fine. There doesn't need to be. And it is
2: nice to have a, like, mentor- student relationship where the the girl who is of a similar age to him, right? She's one year older. Okay, where well, she's the uh, mentor figure, but then the show keeps go- the, the story keeps going to lengths to undercut her. But then at the end of episode three, she just kind of wrecked the villain with uh, without thingy's
1: help. So, uh, you know,
2: swings and roundabouts.
1: Uh, on her notes from the author, we've got details such as I felt that it was always way too easy when I drew her face, or. <laughs> um, regarding, regarding the scar, it was just a random suggestion, but it was granted. My goal was to illustrate Tokiko as a feminist character, but I never thought she'd become the most popular character. She, he says that in chapter three, so even from the beginning, everybody knew where the wind was blowing. She's
2: clearly the person he put the most effort into, so I don't know wh- whatever.
0: I will say that I appreciate the fact that the scar goes horizontally across her face rather than being the one yes. eye vertical one. I am so done with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was about to say there isn't really any fan service with her, but there is that one like shot of her when they're like he's following her up the stairs, and you probably know what I'm talking about. Can we just look at her thighs
0: and stuff? Yeah. The the quote unquote transformation sequence was very close to being that. The thing that kind of is, and I, I shouldn't
2: do this, but the thing that's undercutting it is that the ending, uh, song and visuals are very clearly from her perspective, and it's all about how, like, oh, I'm falling in love with you. Which I know it's not a good thing to like base it on something that's not happened yet and hasn't even really been hinted at that much, but. The fact that they put that as the ending, being that it's there, and it's just like eh, she's gonna, she's just gonna
1: devolve into a love interest. One thing I did appreciate from her is her non-reactions um, to like the porn magazine or uh, to him like being awkward. Because a lot yeah. of other female protagonists in anime and manga would have reacted with like slapping him or being embarrassed, but she just kind of non-plussed about it because it's not that important.
0: Well, we already kind of get the kya echi from the like side character girls in the school. Uh, how much do we want to say about uh, Koshaku Chono, uh, aka Papillon?
2: Very little, because he's barely in the show.
0: Like, there's so
1: much to say about him later on. Just to give you an example, it's he's the first arc villain, so it's not a big spoiler to say that he loses. But... Two chapters after they've had a big life and death fight, they go to McDonald's with him and he's dressed in his papillon <laughs> outfit and it's great. Like he's so much he's having so much fun. And the the author is having clearly so much fun writing him. It's a real shame he's not more front and center in these first trips, although he will be front and center in the latter half of this very first arc.
0: Yeah, very briefly, Mitsubaki Madono. Uh Con and Bleach, that's the like teddy bear guy, right? Uh, yes, I think so. Because I have to mention a code Geass character, he's Kanami Oge, who's like the leader of the Japanese resistance. Uh, and nothing else we want to say. Well, there's his sister
2: who is her her character is wow, my brother's amazing. And I'm ditzy, and I'm voiced by Aya Hirano, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, Aya Hirano could do much better than this.
1: On the art and visual sides, like we've already kind of talked about about how it felt very low budget. Even even besides that, you can still make that look good. This was not a very good-looking show, I found it.
2: They haven't really used any of the like, techniques that people who are used to working with like limited time and money... They haven't worked with what they've got. They've just ended up with like a bland-looking show. And the thing is, you'd expect for um fighting shounen story like this, they would invest more time in the fight scenes. But the fight scenes... Uh... They feel like they're going through the motions more than anything. There's no, oh, like... Yeah.
1: like It feels very flat as well. It's, it's just straight yeah. on. There's no... The colors don't really pop. Like, there's colors in the show, but they, they don't really stand out. It's all just kind of muted in a way. Even when they pull out the great weapons and everything.
2: There's a few flashes to negative uh colors which were okay
0: yeah we're talking like in terms of background quality like we're so spoiled today in in 2020 mm. like every like i don't want to say every background is gorgeous but so many backgrounds are just gorgeous and like we're getting the sort of pokemon level of quality
2: uh, But you still get shows like that in 2020
1: just nobody watches them
0: yeah it was i don't even want to say safe it was just it was yeah it was bland uh general mm
1: like the editing was fine there was nothing there was nothing to really complain about but there was nothing to really praise
0: there was one there was
2: one cool wipe where um Kazuki's face got all deformed and like uh, oh yeah yeah swirled up that was nice
1: on the other hand uh on the other hand we had several really bad wipes where they just uh, faded from one shot to three- <laughs> incredibly similar looking shot yes. just with the main character with the enemy beginning to transform they did that for each enemy i think except for the third plant enemy where they just cut from her to a human form yeah and then in the next shot she's just she's just already fully transformed no transformation sequence yeah probably because she has way too big of a monster form that would have been too elaborate for them but still
2: and i mean we already talked about how bad
0: that montage scene was
2: but oh (laughs) boy
0: I think my favorite cheap scene was like the one where like it was just a bunch of them walking getting close to the camera, and you could see like the shadows of the previous frames yeah. on the successive ones. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that, that this is a thing that like, like we we joke that like they must be saving their budget for something later on. I hope they did save their budget for something <laughs> later on. I mean, that's where,
2: that is what they tend to do. Like you sa- you save your resources for the one
0: big. Important episode, and it's not like we're at Wizard Barristers Penelope episode level. <laughs> yes, well, like you compare it to say,
2: the show is probably a similar level of uh, resources. Put resources put it in, put into it as say Lane, but look how amazing Lane looks even to this day uh-huh. in terms of the like directing and color, uh, gray uh, grading and, and sound composition as well. and the sound. Yes,
1: uh, this is stock sound effect town. <laughs> Every single sound effect you've heard, you hear, you've already heard dozens of times in other shows. And they're not even used that well. I have to say Tanaka's music, while it's not that great, there, there, there is one piece that I did enjoy, but otherwise it didn't. I didn't really find it all that fantastic. Uh, it, it was there. <laughs> Which is always a great thing to say about something.
0: It tried to create mood in scenes where the visuals weren't uh, helping it very much. Mm-hmm. Like the opening for this show, Makana Chikai, is by Fukuyama Yoshiki. I mean, if you're a Macross Seven fan, you know him as the voice and guitar of Bassara Neki. But if you're Denny, you probably know him as a member of Jam Project. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I love him just because when you like see pictures of him, he looks like Brian May, and he was actually, a- <laughs> <laughs> and he was in a Queen tribute band. But I like this song, and I like Jam Project. I- and this song as well, quite a lot. Uh, I remember we had this discussion about a year and a half ago now where we ranked the 30 greatest opening. And I, in my hubris, put forth this as, a, as an option. Like, visually, it's not too special. Uh, we get a lot of your standard shonen tropes. We get, like, people running a lot. We get the, not, not montage, uh, like, the sort of enemy collage where you get, like, three faces next to one another. It's a very comforting opening visually what sells it for me is the music um and the way that the song is edited with this opening when we talk about good openings usually we the thing that like sells it for me is two things does it fit the anime and does the music and the visuals reinforce one another this is a case i think where the song definitely does hit the anime the visuals and the song don't really reinforce each other because they're like we say they're relatively safe shounen fighting opening visuals but they're but they're made to be fitted in with this song in a way that makes it better than it would be otherwise.
2: The unfortunate thing about that is you have to like the song to uh, enjoy the, the editing as much. And I don't like the song, <laughs> yes. so it, it doesn't do much for me.
1: Yeah, we talked about this a lot during our discussion, and it was really, me and Ian were really impressed by the, by the way you just edited each cut to a beat of the song and it managed to do that continuously throughout it and it just built this really nice crescendo that sadly wasn't supported all that well by the visuals but the song was just so hype that we couldn't help it in the end it didn't make our list but it's still a pretty kick-ass opening that i would listen to any day it's also by far the most famous thing about this show yes definitely
0: (laughs) yeah um one of the things that we were mentioning is that I associate this song, not so much with this show, but with a sort of AMV, Umineko Neko versus uh, Ace Attorney. I don't know if there was a term for it. It was, it was a video on, I watched on Nico video about 2008-ish. The link will be in the description. And it's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't like this opening. I like that video. <laughs> so go watch that.
1: I just want to uh, give another shout out to Yoshiki Fukuh- Fukuyama, the the writer of this song, uh, just in the fact that he also wrote BB, the second opening for uh, the Garrity animation, which was another fantastic jam project opening. Give that a listen as well. It's it's really good.
0: Okay, and since I got to talk more than I actually intended to about the opening, we can breeze past the ending. <laughs> uh, I, already, I already mentioned the main thing about it is its uh, relationship with the. Uh, Tokiko as a character. Mm. I, I would describe this ending as this is a good song to show in the final episode after everything is done. This should not be played every episode. This is a this is like a this is this is post credits. I mean, like in a movie, this is post credits movie. In a show that you're still getting watching week by week, not so much. Like it's all slow panning shots of like school scenes, the lone female vocals of uh, Watanabe Man, characters looking off camera. Vaseline on the lens, <laughs> <laughs> uh, etc. Yeah, so the song is by Jukai. Uh, it's just, just a duo. Uh, Watanabe Manami, uh, who does the vocals, and Yoshiaki Dewa, who does the like programming, like composition arrangement. The only other thing I want to say about them is that if you've seen the ending to the anime adaption of Fate Stay Night, there's a song, Anataga Itamori, they did that.
1: And I think that brings us into our uh, last major topic of today, which is a discussion of Nobuhiro Watsuki, the author of both Busa Rankin and Roni Kenshin, who in 2017 was arrested for the possession of child pornography. He was, however, only fined 200,000 yen, which is not that much money.
0: Yeah, we're talking about like
1: $2,000. And his manga was put in hiatus. However, it's... Resumed like a year later you know i hope we don't need to say
2: why this is bad
1: i i assume not
2: (laughs) either uh, i'm not even going to get into a debate about uh uh, lollicon or not but um it it was like full-on actual children child pornography right yeah 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 of course
1: which, before we begin this discussion proper and get serious, I just want to point out, it's very unfortunate that in the character files for Bruce o. Rankin's protagonist, under Things He Likes are, is listed Curry Rice, Vegetable Juice, The Color Gold, and Young Girls. Oh boy. And the main reason I brought all of this up is because I feel like we, could, we, can, we should have a discussion of how much enjoyment should you take from an author's work if, it's a huge, if he's a huge piece of shit. Like looking at this, the 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 director of Niju, who was like fascist, it's it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because it depends to
2: some to some people, it depends on whether that stuff permeates into the work. For example, like Recovery of an MMO addict, the director's anti-Semitism doesn't really bleed into the show at all. But I still understand people who would not want to watch it just because of of he's involved in that. It's a context thing, right? It depends on the person. It depends on the show and the case, and th- there isn't really a uh, one-fits-all argument for this, at least in my opinion.
0: Right. Like, I mean, you said you couldn't think of an example. Like in the RPG community, the, the example is always Zach Smith, who did like Bornheim, which I actually like. I, I like that complete say kit. Uh, he's he's did some interesting stuff, but he's also like abused women, <laughs> and well, he's denied it, but and, like, the way Wizards of the Coast reacted with this is they removed all the references to him they had in print editions of their works. Which, like, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what you say in a lot of these cases. Because I, I, don't, I don't know that there is, like, a, a generic, this person is bad, therefore fuck their work. Like, it depends,
2: right? Because with uh, Song of the South... I think that should be available, but you should have a disclaimer at the beginning of it.
0: We know that Disney actually does this for like smoking and a few other things, but like yeah like they're they're very sensitive about their racism not but not so much sexism. They've just decided to go for lean in feminism as their and pretend they never did anything wrong, so with this, I mean, I'm not gonna read any of this guy's stuff anyway. Like, I mean, I guess Roni Kenshin is, like, reasonably well-regarded, but generally speaking, the stuff he's writing, I don't give a fuck about. Mm. Yeah. So if if, if someone says, I mean, this guy is a paedophile, I'll be like, okay. And then forget about it till the next time it's mentioned because this guy's work has no impact on me. Like, I mean, if he did, like, an etchy manga, how would that change our opinion? That's what I was also trying to think of
1: because... um... Ronnie Kenshin does have several very young characters like, that are essentially still children mm-hmm. but it's i have we have no idea there just isn't enough information to really say whether this has always been his inclination or this is a more recent thing that he got into it's yeah. really hard to, it's really hard to judge his older work based on something he did recently because we have no idea how far this goes back and the thing that makes this
2: really tricky is that he's still writing manga it's not that this has happened and then he's just gone away He's still hmm. releasing stuff. Now, I'll be honest, I sort of fall down the line that pedophiles should be rehabilitated rather than just thrown away. But part of that includes keeping them away from
1: kids, right? Not, not allowing them to make very popular work that gets, could
0: get them invited to conventions and stuff. Yeah, like, like what magazine does Rory Kenshin go in? Jump Square. That's like under the Shonen Jump imprint, right? Mm-hmm. so it's just like probably shouldn't be working for this company <laughs> yeah like I don't know that it would be better if he was working for like a more adult oriented
2: I mean no right because then he might put some of the more weird stuff in there
1: yeah like the example I'm thinking of is the Nostalgia Critic who that whole website was full of very bad things that happened but he still he denied all of it and he's still pumping out work once a week yeah, he's putting himself out there as a personality rather than he's. Whereas here it's here's, it's a comp, it's a story about different characters where it's really hard to tell how much of himself the author has put into it. It's 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 more removed, so it's harder to judge.
0: I mean, in, in these sorts of cases, my my uh, I basically always say, take it as it is and yeah. don't feel the need to interact with a work by someone you consider to be a revered.
2: Now, if so, if a piece of work you have a lot of attachment to the creator turns out to be a piece of shit. J.K.
0: Rowling. (laughs) Um, Uh, Like like Dan Aronofsky, if I find out that you're a horrible person, you're going to really hurt me. (laughs) (laughs) Then you just kind of have to examine your feelings about the
2: piece of work in general anyway. I'm not going to tell anyone to stop loving Harry Potter,
0: even if it has anti-Semitic stereotypes in it and a bunch of other problems that I won't list. Like, there's been the whole conversation just recently in the like RPG space about the fact that orcs are racially coded, which...
2: The same conversation
0: we have every half a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I always find it weird when I, that one weird, because it's just like, no shit. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: I mean, uh, I, think, I think a much more interesting discussion in that regard would be, for example, Jackie Chan, because... He's made some great movies that I really enjoy, and I can watch this day. He's such a fun performer, but he's also very supportive of the Chinese regime.
0: Oh, that's a more complicated one, especially yeah. because if, he, if if he wasn't like supportive, it would definitely impact like his career. But he does actually seem to have like genuine feelings of support. It's it's a tricky one because I'm sure there are lots
2: of uh, actors who like Obama, and I did not like the Obama administration at all. I thought it was pretty terrible like mm. better than most uh American governments but it's still pretty awful. So yeah, it's a tricky one that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I I I feel like we're just we could ramble about this. I guess the answer is
1: there is no easy
0: answer. But to
2: not have a co- not have a complete cop out. Rankin doesn't depict teenagers. So does every other fucking show, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I, I don't know. Teenagers are such a weird gray area where, where, when it comes to like pedophilia and sexualizing underage characters, and I don't know if I want to have that conversation right now. There aren't any really young people in it. It is very strange that he put the the, the main character like young girls in his thing, which suggests that it might come up later, and that's.
1: I feel I feel like when I feel like that's just us reading into it a lot because with the young girls just being girls his age who are yo- considered young, maybe instead of being into older women like in his in their twenties, which yeah. is weird because in the manga the actually thinking about it the other guy comes in with the porn magazine that he had mentioned in the episode summary and he specifically talks oh I know how you like older women so I brought you this porn magazine about older women. <laughs>
2: Anyway, we've just we've just kind of uh, rambled about this for like ten minutes or something without really like saying anything concrete about Busa Reiki, but that's fine because we're not gonna recommend the show anyway. No.
0: Nope. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean on the on the other hand, it would have been pretty bullshit of us to like just skip past the fact. So yeah, since since Freya bravely tried to transition us into this oh <laughs> uh, Denny, how many papillon masks are you giving this show? I think I'm going
1: to go with a 2. It's very, very eh. Like, if it was just rating the opening alone, a 4 out of 5, 4.5 out of 5. But disregarding the opening, it's a 2. It's about as generic as you can get as a baseline, but it's worse. Because even the most generic shounen anime... Tend to have something about their protagonist that makes them stand out in some way. Like, oh, maybe he wants he wants to be the the best at something specific. Whereas here, no, I just want to fight uh, to help this person, which is such a non motivation. The animation sucks. The editing's not great. Two is the best I can give it because it's not awful. It's still watchable if you like shonen. Uh, how about you, Freya?
2: Uh, so, I mean, you've basically said my argument. I would say, for me, it kind of failed at doing what a fighting shonen is supposed to do, or at least the things I feel like it should was trying to do, like having fun fight scenes and having fun inspiring characters and maybe a, some comedy. Most shonen comedy is pretty awful. So I'm going to go give it a one and a half. It's not awful. I just think it
0: failed at what it was trying to do, and I didn't like it. So I'm going to give it a one and a half.
1: All right. Ian.
0: So I, I would like to uh, give my summary of this show by quoting Burned Lettuce on my... Uh, <laughs> we all have those series, which for some reason we can't help but love. We know we shouldn't. We know it's not good. We we can't help but watch the series and be totally entranced by it. It's totally predictable, cliche, cr- crony, shounen anime. It's nothing new. It literally brings nothing new to the table, but I can't help but love the series. Now, that for burnt lettuce is a 7 out of 10. <laughs> for me, that is a, a 1.5 review.
1: Making <laughs> this officially the lowest rated show on this podcast.
2: We kind of had a long discussion that wasn't that related to the anime already, so here's the trivia, which probably also won't be related to the anime, because that's the trend we've had.
1: Actually, this week it's all related to the anime. For one, even though it's a fairly unknown series, I'd say it's definitely not the author's most remembered work, and it's definitely not a popular show that's remembered or recommended. There, there was still a trading card game based on the show. The other two things uh, have to do with the characters, specifically why he chose Kazuki's weapon as a lance, and the reason for that is because he watched a knight's tale, the old movie. And he just thought it was cool. So a Lance. Shout
0: out to that film. I like that film. It is an enjoyable film. (laughs) Watch that rather than this.
1: (laughs) And uh, the other fact is that Tokiko was essentially just a feminized version of Kenshin from Rurouni Kenshin. She did kind of look like him. He just took the scar and moved it. (laughs) So, Freya, what we'll be watching next week.
2: Next week, we will be watching an old thing again. We will be watching
1: Tokimeki tonight. Once again, I don't know what that is, but I'm looking forward to finding out. We are the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, more or less. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode, or suggest something for future episodes, you can follow us on you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime, or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com.